0: It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, December 21st. This is your KVMR Evening News. Northern California communities are reeling after yesterday's 6.4 magnitude earthquake. The ramifications continue to ripple through Humboldt County. The California Report gives us a look coming up. We've got your local news and weather. Then, on Tuesday, MineWatch, an organization opposed to the reopening of the Idaho-Maryland mine, hosted a webinar to discuss the proposed mine's recently unveiled economic impact report. KVMR intern news producer Julia Jem has the takeaways. And KVMR science correspondent Al Stoller puts the United Nations Landmark Biodiversity Summit into perspective. This is the California
1: Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. Two people are dead as a result of yesterday morning's 6.4 magnitude earthquake that hit Humboldt County and at least a dozen were injured. Jefferson Public Radio's Eric Newman has more.
2: During a press conference in the city of Rio Del on Tuesday afternoon, Humboldt County Sheriff William Hansel said two people died in connection with the early morning earthquake.
3: Their emergency happened, medical emergency happened at the moment of the earthquake. And so EMS could not get there in time and we couldn't deliver them to... Uh, the proper medical facility. So our hearts and prayers go out to their families.
2: Rio Dell was the community most affected. Emergency personnel are evaluating home destruction and trying to fix the city's inoperable water system. There have been over 50 aftershocks since the earthquake. Tens of thousands remain without electricity in communities across the county. For the California Report, I'm Eric Newman.
1: Most of the damage from yesterday's quake happened in the small Humboldt County town of Rio Dell. KQED reporter Suki Lewis spent the day driving around the area. The Dollar General, where you could see people, you know, lined up outside and inside the store is just completely trashed, like everything that had been on the shelves was now on the floor and the owner of the store was out front. She was giving out batteries to people who, you know, were out of power in the area. Lewis says 15 buildings in Rio Del were red-tagged, meaning there was enough damage to their structure to deem them unsafe. The whole house had fallen off its foundation and the front porch, there was like kind of triangular like roof above the porch. That was totally cattywampus. Like the whole thing just looked like each part of the house was trying to go in a different direction. Last night, Governor Gavin Newsom declared a state of emergency for the region. This will allow Humboldt County to access resources more easily under the California Disaster Assistance Act. Last week, we told you about the first-of-its-kind offshore wind lease auction along California's coast. Well, it generated a healthy $750 million in combined sales this month. The state is charging ahead with plans for floating wind turbines miles off its coastline, preparing for a novel source of clean energy, enough power for 1.5 million homes, and tons of new jobs. KQED's senior climate editor Kevin Stark reports that along California's northern coast, it's a boomtown story for the climate
2: change era. Jeff Hunterlock, a building and trades union leader, says this fledgling industry presents big-time potential for workers in Humboldt County.
4: Tens of thousands of jobs from construction phase to operation and maintenance and supply chains.
2: He expects new jobs for his members from two clusters of wind turbines planned on floating platforms 20 miles off the coast. California air regulators have charted an ambitious path to dramatically reduce planet warming gas emissions over the next two decades and spur job growth. But to do that, California will have to build renewable energy at a faster rate than it ever has before. And there is only one way to do that. That's the state's top air official, Leanne Randolph. Break forever our dependence on fossil fuels, the harsh grip of petroleum, and move as fast as we can to a clean energy economy. Floating wind turbines are a cornerstone of the state's plan, which calls for five gigawatts of offshore wind capacity by 2030, at least quadrupling that by 2045. Sam Eaton is an executive with RWE, one of the winning developers. He's responsible for all of its offshore wind activities across the Western Hemisphere.
3: California's auction really put the U.S., right at the forefront of the leading floating markets in the world.
2: Already on the East Coast, industry groups and developers are investing tens of millions of dollars into training workers. He says the West Coast should expect this too. California's southern lease areas have more infrastructure and will likely be built sooner. But Eaton says the North Coast has the fastest wind speeds.
3: Ultimately, the the better investment for us then was to, to focus on the northern part of the state.
2: Stephanie McClellan is executive director of the offshore wind nonprofit Turn Forward and has advised states like New York and Massachusetts on offshore wind. California, West Coast offshore wind is off to the races. She says the early December auction showed a strong market signal, especially the area off the state's northern coast. The north coast without transmission you know, is just as competitive as the Central Coast, right? RWE, Equinor Wind, and other big multinational energy companies won leases. These are
0: established
2: players. The leases are in good hands. But not everyone agrees. Tribes, environmentalists, and other groups have expressed frustration for being left out of the process. Then there are groups like Audubon, who say the climate benefits could be a net positive so long as developers get the construction right. Here's the group's clean energy lead, Gary George.
4: It will harm some seabirds. You know, one of our big concerns is that we need to know what that level of impact is so we can do something about it.
2: He wants robust environmental studies and daily accounting of any bird deaths. Dick Og fishes for crab, albacore, black cod, rockfish, and he chases salmon from the central coast up north.
4: From, you know, down by Morro Bay all the way up to you know, Crescent City, we, we travel up and down the coast.
2: He's been a fisherman for more than 20 years. I'm not opposed to any of this. I do have
4: a lot of questions.
2: Aug is just worried about losing ground and has felt left out of the process.
4: You're basically closing off a large area that, you know, maybe have been used for, for drag fishing, may have been used for long lining. It's gonna impact us in one way or another. As for when the projects
2: will be up and running, Eaton says it's still early days, but he expects early 2030s, the first turbines will spin off the state's northern coast. For the California Report, I'm Kevin Stark.
1: This story was produced through a collaboration between KQED and Climate Central.
2: Support for the California Report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation, Listening to Black Californians, a new study on how the healthcare system undermines the pursuit of good health, on the web at chcf.org/lbca. The Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved youth. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, which bets early on exceptional people making the world better on the web at smithfutures.org.
1: And that's the California Report for Wednesday, December 21st. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Remember, you can get your fix of daily statewide news on the California Report podcast. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day.
0: Let's take a look at today's local news. Last month, California voters approved Proposition 31. The ballot measure upholds SB-793, a 2020 state law that banned the retail sale of menthol cigarettes and most flavored tobacco products in California. The voter-approved ban takes effect December 21st after several fruitless attempts to overturn the proposition by the tobacco industry. Exactly what products are banned? Stores and vending machines in California are not allowed to sell menthol cigarettes, flavored chewing tobacco, flavored snuff cigars, flavored e-cigarettes, and flavored roll-your-own tobacco. $250 fines will be doled out to retailers found guilty of selling or stocking the banned substances. The California Department of Tax and Fee Administration has instructed retailers to request refunds from their distributors for any unsold banned items. KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza took to the streets, curious as to how Prop 31 might affect local retailers. I was
3: curious about how SB 793, the 2020 state law that prohibited retailers from selling menthol cigarettes and most flavored tobaccos, was affecting local businesses. So I spoke to Corinne Corr at the Cedar Ridge Country Store. Are you going to see a considerable drop in your revenue?
5: Uh, it'll affect us, but I believe that um, cigarette stores that are primarily just selling those products, they, they will be more impacted.
3: The items that you didn't sell, what happens to them now?
5: They're basically trash.
3: And you haven't been able to recoup any of that money?
5: No, it's all a loss.
3: And have has there been a reaction from your customers at all about it?
5: Yes, many people were not uh, aware that this was going to happen. So there, there are a lot of people that were shocked, especially uh, consumers that buy that product.
3: I asked her what she thought would happen next.
5: Uh, from my understanding, I believe uh, menthol products can be bought online, which is, I personally think, is even worse because, I mean, it's easier to buy things online versus in the store with the ID.
3: Although tobacco can be ordered online, California law requires that all tobacco products must be signed for upon delivery by
0: a person aged 21 or older. California residents overwhelmingly approved the proposition. Health advocates lobbied hard for its passage, claiming menthol cigarettes and flavored e-cigarettes hook young people on tobacco products early. Roughly 63% of voters approved of the ban, while 37% were against it. Following the election, R.J. Reynolds and other tobacco manufacturers petitioned the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals for an injunction to temporarily prevent the ban from taking effect, but the Supreme Court denied the request. California joins Massachusetts as the second state to impose a complete ban on flavored tobacco products, including menthol cigarettes. Rhode Island, New York, and New Jersey prohibit the sale of flavored vaping products. This reported by the Sacramento Bee. Placer County Water Agency, or PCWA, has filed a suit against Pacific Gas and Electric Company for damages related to the Mosquito Fire. California's largest wildfire of 2022 began on September 6th and burned nearly 77,000 acres across the Tahoe and El Dorado National Forests. The Mosquito Fire damaged electricity transmission infrastructure and halted energy production along the Middle Fork American River project which is a dual-purpose water supply and hydroelectric energy project owned and operated by PCWA. According to the suit, the ultimate amount of damages sought by PCWA is undetermined, but the fire caused the agency to lose tens of millions of dollars in power sales alone. This reported by Ubinet. Nevada County Connects, the county's bus service, will be offering free fares for everyone on all routes from now until the end of the year. Nevada County Transit Service is able to offer the free rides with funding received from a Low Carbon Air Quality Grant. The Low Carbon Transit Operations Program seeks to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and improve mobility. Nevada County Connects will be operating normal schedules and times on all routes throughout the free fare event. And a reminder, there won't be any service on Saturday, December 24th, Monday, December 26th, and Monday, January 2nd. Turning our attention to your forecast from the National Weather Service, dry weather continues, but another weak weather system brings a chance of light precipitation later Thursday and possibly into Friday. Expect dry and milder weather with night and morning valley fog over the Christmas weekend. However, there is a chance we're back to wet weather come next week. We may see precipitation as early as midday Monday. The heaviest rain is expected Tuesday. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, Tonight, patchy fog, otherwise increasing clouds, with a low around 38. Thursday, a 30% chance of showers after 4 p.m., otherwise mostly cloudy, with a high near 51. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, mostly cloudy, with a low around 23. Thursday, a chance of rain and snow after 4 p.m., mostly cloudy, with a high near 43. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, patchy dense fog, otherwise mostly cloudy, with a low around 39. Thursday, patchy, dense fog before 11 a.m., otherwise mostly cloudy with a high near 53. You're listening to the Evening News on KBMR. On December 15th, Nevada County hosted a community webinar that focused on the findings of the economic impact report for the proposed Idaho-Maryland mine project. MineWatch, an organization that opposes the mine's reopening, hosted a webinar Tuesday to discuss the findings and facilitate community input. KVMR's intern news producer, Julia Jem, sat in on Tuesday's MineWatch webinar. She's got the meeting's big takeaways up ahead.
6: On Tuesday, December 20th, MineWatch, an organization in opposition to the proposed Idaho-Maryland mine, hosted an online webinar to provide community perspectives on the recent release of Nevada County's Economic Impact Report. The webinar began with panel presentations, followed by a live question-and-answer period, which would occur after the general presentations were complete. There were several items on the webinar's agenda. In order, they occurred as follows. Project update, industry perspective, employment economic impact and risks, revenue and spending impacts, real estate, the three case studies, and finally, the panelist Q&A. Panelists included Ralph Silberstein, Charlie Brock, Dr. David Chambers, James Steinman, John Vaughn, and Martin Webb. Ralph Silberstein discussed recent events involving the mine project. He states that the Wells Coalition spoke to the Board of Supervisors on December 13th and requested county protection. He also provides an overview of the economic study, an independent analysis of the mine concerning our local economy including information about the changing numbers in terms of indirect jobs and local spending that were discussed in December 15th county webinar. Jim Steinman discussed employment, economic impact, and risks in his presentation. He compared what he views as the pros and cons of the mine development, stating that, quote, net benefit must be substantial to overcome negative environmental impact. He also explored the concept of a mining job and how it differs from more common work formats. Miners work 12-hour shifts with seven days on and then seven days off. He claimed that most of these workers would live outside of the county, would commute to work, and would have single-person spending patterns. Steinman ultimately concluded in his presentation that he does not believe the economic benefits of the proposed mine would compensate for its negative environmental impacts. Martin Webb noted the items not evaluated in the economic report, including the concept of economic cost to tourism. He claims that the proposed mine might cause a decline in tourism and, as an example, states that if Nevada County lost 5 to 10 percent of tourism, It would also lose $20 to $40 million a year, and 200 to 400 jobs. MindWatch is claiming that they believe January will be critical in terms of project development or pushback. As I end this report, I'd like to state that the opinions you've heard here today are that of MindWatch speakers only, and are not those of KVMR, its board, staff, volunteers, or underwriters. For KVMR News, I'm Julia Jem.
0: On Monday, after two weeks of negotiations, the world's nations created a global biodiversity framework. The United Nations convened in Canada for the event, touted by some as the biodiversity equivalent of the Paris Climate Agreement. The countries worked to build a framework to save the roughly one million animal and plant species threatened with extinction. KVMR science correspondent Al Stoller takes us back to the root of the gathering, biodiversity, up ahead.
4: Planet Earth was born four and a half billion years ago. I'd say the newborn Earth was a dead planet, but can something really be dead if it's never, ever lived? The newborn Earth was no way alive, but it was chemically active. Atoms in rocks, in water, in air. Atoms glued themselves to each other, broke away from each other. They sucked up energy. They spewed out energy. One of the biggest puzzles in biology is how these chemical reactions, somehow mixed and matched within half a billion years, to come alive. From rocks and water and air, the ancestor of us all, the ancestor of people and plants, bugs and bacteria, our ancestor came alive. We don't know what that first living thing looked like, but we can say something about how that puppy behaved. It liked to run experiments. We all do experiments daily. What happens if I add a bit more salt to this recipe? What does Guatemalan food taste like? What happens if I do this? What if I change the way I do that? That first living organism experimented with everything. How it put itself together. What it ate. How it pulled food from the water around. Life never stopped experimenting. Some life forms put down roots. Some evolved mouths. Some grew wings. Life discovered all sorts of ways to keep itself alive. Life diversified. Over the four billion years that life has lived on Earth, the number of different life forms has grown and grown. And now and then, the number of different forms of life, the biodiversity has dropped. The best-known mass extinction event happened 66 million years ago when an asteroid plowed into Earth, killing off, most famously, the dinosaurs. But it also took out a lot of less familiar plants and animals. Over the past 250 million years, life has become ever more diverse. More and more different ways to make a living, to keep itself alive. There are more different species, more diversity today, than there ever has been before. Humans evolved in Africa over many millions of years, and that gave the other animals time to learn how to deal with these clever creatures. But when humans took themselves to other continents around 50,000 years ago, they came upon animals that had never before dealt with such skillful hunters. Again and again, large animals disappeared. It was the first glimmer of a wave of mass extinction that now appears to be cresting. When we think of endangered species, we tend to think of lions and tigers, elephants and whales, beautiful, majestic animals that we've hunted and trapped to extinction, or at least close to extinction. But we're not losing just charismatic megafauna. Not that long ago, driving from the foothills to the Bay Area, across California's Great Central Valley. You'd stop from time to time to clean off the windshield. The windshield, the whole front of your vehicle, would be slathered with dead bugs, bugs you'd smashed into. Nowadays, a bug-covered windshield is not really a problem. Where did the bugs go? Some of those bugs once pollinated our crops. Could their disappearance have anything to do with the tons of insecticide dumped on the valley daily. We'll talk more about diversity soon. Tonight, note the solstice. Tomorrow, daylight returns. For KVMR, I'm Al Stoller.
0: That's our newscast for this Wednesday, December 21st. Visit us online at kvmr.org and connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and Evans Furniture Galleries, family-owned since 1966, with locations in Chico, Yuba City, and now on Mill Street, Grass Valley. Showcasing traditional to contemporary furniture, home decor, and mattresses with delivery available. Evans-Furniture.net and YubaDocs Urgent Care since 2000. Providing walk-in medical and urgent care, accepting most insurance. Open 8 to 6, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, Saturdays and holidays. Located in the Fowler Center, Grass Valley. Ubidox.com. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director, Claudio Mendoza. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Thursday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.